Struggles around self-worth and not feeling good enough can impact any of us at any point in life. How do we overcome these and bounce back, especially when these have been a challenge throughout our childhood and academic life? This mum shares her moving experience of facing these childhood challenges, which led to full-blown imposter syndrome and needing external validation later in life, and the inspirational story of how overcoming these struggles became her rocket fuel for personal transformation and her big mission to change our education system. Join us as I talk to Fabienne Viles. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I am delighted to welcome today's interview guest, Fabienne Vells. Hi, Fabienne. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And we were just having a giggle, weren't we? Because I've known you a number of years and I had to double check. The pr- we know people's names. We don't always say them out loud. And I had to double check the pronunciation of your surname. And I, I loved what you shared. And I want to share it with our audience that you're French and you married an Englishman, but you married possibly one of the very few Englishmen who have a French surname. How cool is that? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's just—it's funny because people always automatically assume that the, the name Vels, the way it's spelt, um, is French. So they, they don't really question it and they pronounce it Veles or something else. <laughs> that they pronounce I have it similar, <laughs> similar with Hewlin. Huelin, Hoylin, I get all sorts. (laughs) Welcome. I'm glad I pronounced it correctly. Welcome, welcome. And thank you so much for coming on to share your bounce back story, which is incredible. And I have no doubt it's going to resonate with so many of our listeners, both as a, as a, as a, uh, an adult and also somebody who's raising children. So let me just hand straight over. What is your story of bouncing back from challenge and adversity? So my story of bouncing back is actually, you know, sometimes I just feel it's not really massive, but then I reflect on my journey and I just think, right, okay, yes, I've come quite a long way. Um, so I was born and raised in France um, to amazing parents, really lovely parents who are still together. Um, I think I, as a child, I really, you know, my sister and I, sort of 19 months difference. So, um, and I think in the younger years, uh, when she was little, she was, my sister was very loud and, you know, very bubbly. Um, and I guess I was a little bit, I felt a little bit in the shadow, um, you know, as I, as I grew up. Um, and I also, you know, as, as, families do because we were two girls we just kept being compared constantly Mm. um and so i think for me one of the biggest challenges that i experienced is that was being compared to my sister who was you know much taller much slimmer you know 
thinner bones than I have, you know, even now. Um, and so I grew up with a, you know, a really distorted vision of who I am as an individual. Um, and you'll know this because obviously we've worked together and we've discussed this at length as part of the developmental process. But I, the, the only way I can describe it is I've always felt like the ugly duckling. So I really felt like I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't, you know, put the adjective and then enough and that would be me. So pretty enough, clever enough, intelligent enough, etc. cetera. Um, and also with that came, so, you know, real lack of self-worth and self-esteem and a real need I realize now particularly to get uh, external validation from others um, mainly from men for some you know stranger reasons so less women but definitely men I would need them to to validate uh, me um, and that showed up in in a lot of my personal relationships as a teenager uh, you know picking the wrong guys because I wanted them to validate me uh, but I think also alongside that real issue with my level of intelligence and not feeling clever enough compared to compared to um, young people, you know, in my classrooms. Um, and I think in primary school, I was a little bit like my youngest. So I I remember being in the classroom and really struggling to for things to connect and almost like things were not wiring, you know. You know when you're not quite getting it so what mm. people were talking to me about uh, it didn't make sense it, did, it wasn't connecting I can completely relate to that yes and so but not saying anything because it's like oh my goodness if I say that I don't understand they'll know I'm stupid mm. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, and I so I, I went through primary school and then secondary school uh, until sort of the equivalent so quatrième in France which is uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the French system year seven eight nine about year nine and throughout those years the teachers would say so in France the system was quite harsh um, and you know they would make a big deal of those who were like top of the class and the others were just you know well you're not really worthy of a mention or anything like that um, and in, when you had a parent evening, they would sort of sit you uh, with your parents and they would literally talk about you whilst you're there, about you know, your abilities and your skills. So throughout those studies, what my teachers would say uh, is, uh, you know, she's, she's okay, she's average. Um, we can't really get so in France if you if you don't perform well enough they keep you back one year then get you to uh, uh, redouble it's called so to repeat your year um, they kept saying well you know she would really benefit from repeating that year but we can't because her results are not too bad so um, and I distinctively remember one particular teacher French teacher who just said to my mum in front of me uh, your daughter will amount to nothing um, she'll probably end up, you know, working in a factory or in a supermarket. Uh, Incredible. I think was, and uh, I'm quite offensive because my mum worked in a supermarket. I come from a very working class background. Um, so like, well, actually, my mum works in a supermarket. What's wrong with that? Um, and so I took that to heart. And then um, when I got into the equivalent of year nine, 
in September that year, I just decided, right, forget it. I'm not going to work. You want me to repeat my years? I'm going to repeat my years. Um, and I did. I just did nothing. So I got zero on all my averages out of 20 for the whole of the, that year. And then I seemed to repeat. And then at that point, something the following year clicked. And then, and I don't know if it's because you know, I felt more confident because I'd done part of that work, even if I'd done no homework. To give you an example, my Spanish teacher said to my mum, your daughter still thinks she's on holiday. <laughs> it's just, you know. I think just, it's just, uh, you know, astounding, isn't it? Some of the things that adults and people in figures of authority say without understanding the impact they can have on other people and particularly young people's lives incredible mm. yes and and i think you know obviously things are slowly changing in the educational system and i'm sure we'll talk about that at some point i think what's happened is um you know back then it was very much you know, if you you have good good results at school, so therefore you're intelligent. It's your sign of intelligence. And if you if you haven't got good marks, then we're not just looking at why you may be struggling or why you're having difficulties. It's your responsibility in that attainment gap, and it's your responsibility as a student because maybe you're not working hard enough or smart enough. But we don't really care. I guess that's you know. And so from that point on, I, I think also my dad helped. So my dad also being from a work, very uh, working class said to me, if you don't want to work at school, that's fine, but you'll end up in a, in a profession like mine. So my dad was a mechanic and he wanted to be an architect. My dad was, he's, he's very bright um, and particularly really good at maths. Uh, but his dad refused to pay for him to go to school uh, so and to do the architect school and sent him to, he wanted to do carpentry and his dad sent him to do um, me mechanics instead. So my dad said to me, if you don't want to study, that's fine. But in the summer, you're going to be doing, uh, you're going to have to go and work uh, in between schools. So he sent me to work. Um, and I've done all sorts of jobs, you know, from working in a factory where um, I was literally fe feeding the machines with, with uh, um, you know, like the, the, the cardboards to make the boxes. And literally I would look like I was self-harming from being cut in the, you know, from the, cu oh, the, the cardboard yeah. to working in a supermarket. And I'm very grateful to my dad that he did this because actually that plus you know, maybe being slightly more mature, I suddenly thought, oh my God, he's right. If I don't study, then I might end up in a situation where, you know, and, and it's not, it's not a problem if, if you, you know, you work in a supermarket or, you know, we, we need people working in supermarkets and doing those jobs. So I'm not saying that it's, it's bad, but for me, I really wanted something more. I wanted to, so I studied. And I, every time in, in September, I would go, right, yes, I'm going back to school and excellent. And I sort of worked. Um, and I ended up going to, you know, through secondary school, sort of secondary school A levels uh, with a, you know, sort of quite good results. So, you know, back avec mention uh, in, in France. And then I did my degree uh, in, in France. So I studied languages with business studies. 
and then I moved to Spain for a, a bit and then came to England. But I think throughout all of that story, whilst I did um, you know, understand the importance of, of education, and I still believe it's important to be educated because it brings so much to us, there was always still underlying this real not feeling good enough, feeling like an imposter. So I still feel it. It's still there. I, I call it my, um, now I've given it an, a name and I've called it inky. It's a little bit like a, like a, uh, what do you call them? What's the word in English? I've lost it. A uh, uh, pieuvre, you know, the, Oh, like a, like an octopus. An octopus, yeah, mm. with all those tentacles of like um, in my know, subconscious mm. um, and taking hold of some aspects of, of my beliefs. I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, particularly women, have an inky lurking somewhere in their subconscious where that I'm not good enough um, and, you know, somebody's going to find me out, that whole imposter syndrome mm. thing. I, I love that. I think we all have an inky to to some de- yes. to some degree. Yes. How do I think? Well, I think I think the I wasn't fully aware of it. So inky was ruling the the stories, the narratives without me realizing, and that has taken quite a lot of. Um, work self-development work and you know working with people like yourself um and i always keep this by my desk so i want to ah so because we're on an audio podcast fabi i can see fabienne we've got a video link and fabi well you describe what you're holding up so i'm holding up a swan um and this swan is just beautiful it's made out of crystal and um Nick sent it to me after we'd done some work together um, because we talked about my imposter uh, syndrome and the not feeling good enough and the, the ugly swan. And I remember Nick saying to me, you know the end of the story of the ugly The ugly <laughs> duckling. The ugly, yeah, duckling. The ugly duckling. And I was just like, uh, no, actually. And I, <laughs> I did, but I just saw. And she said, well, turns out that he it was a beautiful swan and I remember it still it'll still make me slightly you know well up because that was a real massive aha moment that was one of those aha moments where actually yes that's right <laughs> it's, uh, you know um and so suddenly I realized that just like everybody I'm unique and I have a lot of my own strengths and a lot of my own uh, weaknesses and just like everybody, I have to work with those on a daily basis. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm may in, may may I interject at this moment? I just want to come yeah. back to, you know, that that beautiful story you've just shared about your aha moment. And I wonder how many of us, you know, I've done tons of work on my. I think as coaches, we have to do the work ourselves. You know, it's all part of walking our talk and. I do wonder how many of us even uh, are, are stuck in the first part of the uh, ugly duckling story, you know, because as children, we have things that happen to us, things that are said, we find ourselves in situations that 
in that moment make us feel like the ugly duckling and then we stay stuck in that narrative and we grow and we develop and we become this beautiful swan but we don't see it there is we don't have that mirror in life to to truly reflect back to us we look in a, a physical mirror but to reflect you know reflect back who mm. we are on the inside and I think that's so powerful and really interesting for everybody to reflect on you know to what degree do we truly recognize what who we are today who we've grown into and how we're growing and changing all the time yes yeah yeah absolutely and I think I think it's really important I think that's probably the most important thing that sort of self-awareness and that you know bringing to the surface all the things that generate those intense negative emotions that we may not want to look at or uh, again this morning I was reflecting on my journey and just sort of thinking how I was living unconsciously you know not I wasn't a conscious creator I wasn't creating you know defining my life and you know when I talk about inky I just really felt that inky was was um writing the story of my life with it you know that's why I like it being an octopus because when it's scared it just spreads this sort of ink um and so I guess what I've you know what if you're not conscious of your unconscious creating the story of your life then you you you're an unconscious creator um and and then, and again it's not bad nor wrong it's just it just means that you you feel like you're you're a victim of of circumstances and events mm. um and it is really frustrating and it, it really limits yourself you know limits it limits us so coming coming back to where you've you've taken us up to in your story so far and you mentioned you did a levels and you know i want to say to the, the audience because certainly uh, if the if the or, the audience haven't read your show notes yet or your bio here you are today um, a director in a, a faculty at a university um, you know such massive achievements and also the work you do in flourishing education um, you are part of the movers and shakers in education what happened between a levels that you know created the the this platform to where you are today the first bigger thing is i left france uh and i left france in an attempt to uh leave my boyfriend behind so i've been with someone for six and a half years who was not a very nice relationship um it's not his fault you know he was only reflecting back he was saying he's sort of like we don't see what's going on for us um externally actually i believe that life reflects what's going on inside and so the relationship we have are a reflection of how highly we value ourselves or not so my relationship with with this particular boyfriend to give you an example, every day we said to me, you're fat and ugly and nobody else will want to be with you. So I believed him until I arrived in the UK and then I just realized actually 
the men were quite interested in me. Absolutely. You <laughs> thought, oh, okay, maybe what he said is not so true. Um, so I think the first, the first big step was this. Also, obviously, the you know doing the A levels and and working in the summer and realizing what hard work it is to work in a factory and and that I, in a way I was a very lucky privileged young lady um, in a sense that I worked with uh, women and men whose life was working in the factory and that's what they had to do set the alarm at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. Um, and go to this factory or to this supermarket to work because that's how they earn the living and they had no choice and here i was at 18 and 19 with a choice and how lucky is that mm. you know i just that's what i said to myself okay you're lucky so what how are you going to use this to you know to, if you don't like going at, getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning to work in a factory and you've got this opportunity, are you going to squander it or are you going to use it? Um, and I very much chose the, the latter um, and, and then went to university and sort of moved to the UK. And then from the UK, I think what I love about uh, England um, and, and the UK is that unlike France, it really gives everybody opportunities if you want to you know it doesn't pigeonhole you into a, a profession or a uh, you can reinvent yourself you can train or retrain and 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 start again um, and i think that's for that also i'm very grateful to be in the country that has welcomed me and has uh, given me opportunities to grow and develop so you know, I went from being a, uh, started my career, you know, in the UK as a teaching assistant, French teaching assistant in a secondary school. Interestingly, where my son now goes, <laughs> so full circle. Um, and, and then so that started my, my career in education, really, from there. So, you know, slowly went my way up to to the position I now have in in a university mm. as a language director. I love what you were saying about choices and that we are so privileged even when we can feel in very difficult climates challenging situations and and obviously there's a lot of choice a lot of conversation quite rightly so about recognizing our privilege and and um mm-hmm. mac you know not taking that for granted and using it in a positive mm-hmm. way and and we we are so lucky and myself i look back at you know tough times and challenges and recognize we don't always see the choices we really do have when we're in the thick of it it can be hard can't it when you're you're you know in the thick of a challenge and you feel in the dark alone unsupported there's no way out and that can be a really tough place to be but I love that you're highlighting actually we're also very privileged and we live in an environment where there are we still have the privilege and and the tools and the opportunities that a lot of others may not have to make choices mm. and begin to take steps. Yes. Really powerful. I, yes, yeah. I, I really, 
And I think I, I think gratitude and recognizing how lucky and privileged I am is probably something that has be, become even more central to my life. So I very much recognize that throughout my life as a you know as as a white uh, you know woman uh, being brought up in a in a country first in France and then now you know living in the UK. Um, and you know now I consider myself to be middle class as a white sort of middle class woman. I am so lucky and privileged. You know I just have so many things that people don't have. And even you know obviously we're recording this as we sort of slowly easing out of the lockdown. Um, and I recognise that also I'm very lucky because you know I work from home. Um, you know my husband and I both work from home. None of us have lost our jobs, so you know just so lucky. And that that feeling of gratitude helps me be the person I am. I think it makes me you know, it, it makes me really appreciate. Um, the, the little things rather than what I was doing before which was and I see a lot of of the young people I work with doing which is this what I've labeled comparatitis so this real need to compare ourselves to others in a in a negative way in a, so from a negative sort of stance thinking that I discovered there's a there's a psychology social psychology terminology called pluralistic ignorance um, which means that it's basically believing that we are the only one who are having issues and problems and that everybody else in the room is having a fantastic time um, and actually most of us all of us in fact as human beings want to be happy and want to be free from suffering want to avoid pain um, and I don't think there's any human being who can who, who can honestly admit that they've never suffered or they've never experienced pain because that's part of being human that's the common humanity we all have yeah well let, let's go to you know you touched on the young people that you work with obviously in a university setting and whilst we can we can look at that saying well that that's a really privileged setting to be, you know, in Europe and having the opportunity to study at university level and everything's relative. And, and there are a lot of young people um, experiencing extreme anxiety and pressures and stresses and impact to their mental health. And, you know, I'd love to explore that with you and your chapter at university because I think for our audience listening whether or not um, they followed academic studies I think we can all relate to going into highly stressful pressurized periods of life and feeling challenged by that and then looking around at others who seem to be doing okay or better than us and so easy for the keeping up with the Joneses um, thing to 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 fall into that trap or groove and I think it's really relevant to our audience both as adults you know we we may have been there in some way shape or form and we're raising children as well who are in that education system and may well go on to um, you know higher higher education further education um, and 
I think it's important to understand the the challenges that are going on there. I know that's a big part of your work and the things you want to change. So tell us what life was like during that that university time for you and and how you see that playing out for our younger generations who are coming through university systems now. Mm. So I went, I was the first generation to go to university because I said, you know, I come from a working class background. So I, although my sister um, studied, she, young Andy's a nurse now, she studied in a different way. She went for a different road, more like HND and stuff. So I was the first in the family to go to university. So I really feel for those first generation uh, young people who arrive in a setting where, you know, if you've got parents who are highly educated, you know, who've got a degree, then you can help your your children to navigate the educational system, the higher education, much more effectively than you can if you if you've never. It's completely you know, alien. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that was, you know, challenging in a way because I guess you know those roots. You just carry your roots, and how are you faithful to your roots as a as a you know working class coming from a working class family um when you're surrounded by young people who are from a completely different socioeconomic background um and i think for me you know the common thread is that throughout my studies um i carried on holding on to the the not feeling good enough and uh, the imposter syndrome without realizing that that's what I had or that's what I was suffering from um, and and I recently when whilst doing some research discovered that there's there's a we, you know with the stress response we talk a lot about fight uh, flight freeze and there's one that's not very talked about which is called fawn f-a-w-n okay and and that particular one is about being a people pleaser so you almost mould yourself into, you know, you go with with which way the, the flow goes. Um, and I re- distinctively remember that. So I, again, recently that I had this massive aha moment because I just, whilst I was doing the self-development work, I was going, oh my God, I'm like a chameleon or like a little puppy dog just going, tell me what I've got to do and I'll do it. You know, just like, what, what, what do you want me to do? And very much that's what I was. I was a people pleaser because I would get my validation from external sources from other people. And unfortunately, um, if we solely rely on other people to, to uh, validate us, other people are equally self, you know, focused on themselves. <laughs> they, they worry about themselves. And so very often they don't, even you know think about validating us for whatever reason um and that generated a lot a lot of suffering an awful lot of suffering um i think i think i've always felt it's only again just so very recently that i realized i don't really need all that external validation so i've always found it difficult to be part of a group, to belong, to sense, did I have that sense of belonging? Um, because I wasn't, you know, I felt that I wasn't good enough. So I just felt that I 
almost didn't deserve to be you know in 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 a in a group so i always felt a little bit like an outlier you know sort of away from the other group and the other thing that i've always again i've i've recently had to deal with this is constantly wanting more qualifications more academic qualifications um, because the the degree the French degree wasn't enough so when I arrived in England I worked full-time and did a master's uh, in linguistics and um, and applied languages and translation and then after writing two books I was like recently thinking I need a PhD um, and you know I need to apply for a PhD and I may or may not do the PhD, but it's sort of realizing that actually, when is enough? When do you get to yeah. a stage where you have enough qualifications? Uh, I did my CV recently because at work they asked me to do my academic CV. And I also realized that it's not just the academic qualifications that I was going for for all those years. I also trained in so many skills. So, you know, NLP practitioner, that wasn't enough. So I didn't, then did the NLP master practitioner and coaching. And then I did hypnotherapy for one year. So I'm a trained hypnotherapist. And, you know, I did mindfulness. So I'm a trained mindfulness teacher. And it just, you know, yeah, it's, it's impressive. And I'm sitting here smiling because Graham and I, my, my beloved, brilliant Graham, have had this conversation numerous times. And he, when we first met, we've been together five years now. And when we first met, he started to call me out on that. He, he noticed the pattern of, oh, really, Nick? So you, you why can't you just do that? Why do you need to get a qualification in it first or a certificate what um, um what rubber stamp do you do you need you know if mm. I was if I was going to uh perhaps you know before I wrote my book perhaps I'd feel like I needed to go on a you know how to become an author <laughs> kind of certification course that to, you know almost to that degree and I remember when I started writing my book I got my book publishing deal and three months later, Graham popped his head in one day and said, um, so how's that going? How's the, how, where, where are you at? How's the book? I said, well, I haven't started writing it yet. And he said, oh, really? You look really surprised. I, did, I said, yeah, yeah, I'm researching. I'd spent about three months. And he said, what, what are you researching? I said, well, I'm, you know, I've got to find all the research and the information that's out there, almost from others, you know, to, he said, well, why? You've You've, you, you live and breathe this stuff and are an expert in it and have been for, you know, eight years. What, what, what are you looking for that you haven't already got? And I was looking for that. Oh, it's, you know, the, that external validation. It's valid because somebody mm. else has said it or it's valid yes. because somebody else has thought it. Or it's, and Graham often talks about, you know, research, statistics empirical historical uh, statistics definitely has its place but if we're talking about how the future needs to be we can't always find historical data to back that up nor would it be <laughs> a good thing no. so i'm sitting no. here smiling because i think especially you know you you have your business flourishing education the majority of people listening to this podcast will be entrepreneurs 
um, owners of their own business. And it can be a really tough gig and journey if we are needing external validation for the next step. When we're trailblazers and pioneers, we haven't got a you know, it's, we're not operating a McDonald's franchise. It's something that perhaps hasn't been done before. And that's a really challenging space to be in. It, if you yeah. need one, if you, if you're a people pleaser, two, if you have imposter syndrome and three, if you, you you're needing that, that external validation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would add that men, men tend to be much better at not needing the external validation as much as we women mm. do and I think you know personally reflecting again on like my upbringing um, I love my my home country you know but it's a very pat- patriarchal sort of society and so therefore you know there's also that as a woman is finding your place in society you know how do you become a woman who is an empowered woman um, and, you know, find, yeah, finding your place yeah. and not having. And, and truly feels empowered to come back to, uh, come back to your swan analogy. How many of us are doing the swan thing where, you know, we look like we're in flow and, you know, like it's all good and below the surface, the bit that nobody else sees actually we're having to swim against our own current and it's really hard Mm. and you know, we're, we're pedaling like mad and, and it actually, it feels really difficult. Um, I know there have been periods like that in, in my life in the past. And I know a lot of, a lot of women I work with, you know, I, I look at them and, and there's so, it's like, wow. And, and then we get to kind of share the stories of actually, it's not as easy as it looks. And that, I think that's the, one of the dangers of comparing ourselves with others. We only see the swan bit. We don't see what's going on below the surface for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going back to your question about how does that link in with young people at university, I would say, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really important to express how we are feeling. And because I never ever expressed how I was feeling and the emotions I was experiencing and the not feeling good enough and not feeling like an imposter um and you know the, writing my first book so I know I know I've told you this and I've said this in the past but I wrote something like 12,000 words and then I deleted it all wrote to our publisher because we've got a common publisher for that particular book um, and I just wrote I can't do this I can't write it and luckily for me she just responded and I went yes you sign a contract I expect <laughs> it on that date so she kept me you know she pushed well me done Alison yes yes, yes. <laughs> well done Alison um so I, I'm so grateful she did but you know I, I I just couldn't because I really had you know there I was in front of my computer having to face my own you know inky just sort of like refusing to write because it just thought it's quite when I think about it I'm just like oh my god this is so mad that I wrote 12,000 words and just went this is rubbish and deleted it all uh, it's quite gutsy in a way <laughs> it's, that's really it's really gutsy and and I can relate I spent a year writing my manuscript and when it was done I worked really hard on that book I poured my 
business coach and mentor heart and soul into that book. And when it was done, even though the deadline, you know, was there contractually, I just wanted to put it in a cupboard and not share it with the world. Why? What is that yeah. all about? What is that all about? And yeah. we all have it to, to a degree. Yeah. yeah. And what helped me is I'm, for my first book, I interviewed an amazing professor in the States called Professor Keyes, uh, to whom I'm, again, eternally grateful because he allowed me to use his terminology, so flourishing languishing. Um, and he, uh, he, I remember he said to me, well done for writing the book. Um, and that this is phenomenal but he said just one word of advice Fabian once you've written it release it in the world and please do not care about how it's received yeah. by other people yeah um, such and that good was the advice. biggest yeah. Yeah. such yeah. good advice I don't know if you've read um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert no. hers was um, what, uh, the book it's Big Magic Creative Living Without Fear she writes it from an author's perspective, but it's relevant to anything. You know, if we're creating something and we're really concerned about what are people going to say, what, what, what feedback am I going to get? How is this going to be received? What if it's a flop? You know, what if nobody listens? What if people listen and they hate it? And she writes about that. And um, there's, there's one paragraph where I, it makes me smile. And she, she, she does the whole F-bomb. It's like, you've got to be in a position where you can just put it out there no attachment to outcome, what happens once you've released it into the world. And, you know, if people laugh or snipe, something along the tunes of um, just smile sweetly and tell them to go create their own fucking art or uh, words to that effect. I like yeah, yes. the kind of fuck it attitude. <laughs> we, that, yeah, that because we it's easy, you know. We all do it. You know, the, the, another of my, my sayings, and I really, really believe that, is I always say to, to people, if, you, if you've not volunteered, you forfeit your right to, to say anything. Mm. So, you know, in communities, how people always want to put like their pennies worth of how you, things should be done or how things should, what, what we should do, but yet they never volunteer and they never do anything. So I always say, right, until you've done it, you forfeit your right to just give me your feedback. You go and write a book and then you tell me how, how I need to do it. So that's that. And I think that's, that's quite a healthy attitude to have. I love that. So are there silver linings to having been a person who obviously you've done so much work on yourself the awareness that you have today and you know but as you were describing um we can go through periods of our lives without understanding really why we are how we are and how that's showing up in our lives and but now with the benefit of hindsight looking back what what gifts has going through these challenges given you where's the silver lining in all of that um I'm grateful for the person and the experiences that so who I was as a teenager, as a child, uh, you know, Fabian as a child, Fabian as a teenager. Um, and that, you know, those feelings of being not good enough and imposter syndrome, because it's really got me to where I am now. Um, so had I not had those particular life experiences or, you know, those, you know, those feelings, 
then I'm not sure I would be where I am. Um, and for that, I'm grateful because it gives me enormous compassion and empathy for young people, um, you know, for, for teachers and, and in education, because I completely it drives everything I do um, in a sense that I just, I think, well, if I can prevent one person ever through education being, you know, raised or believing that they are not good enough or that they are less than, um, then you know one conversation is enough if if it's just change with one person then that, that's enough and i think that's what constantly drives what i'm doing that is so powerful and knowing there are people out there and we you know myself included we all have those moments where we don't feel good enough speaking to those people what would be your one piece of advice for anybody who finds themselves in a in a moment, a situation or a period where they don't feel good enough or that whole imposter syndrome is kicking in? I would say know that if you are here alive on earth, on this planet, you're worthy. You deserve to be here. Um, Just that, just being alive is a sign that you are worthy and you deserve to be here. and so, you know, I would, I would say start with that, start with loving yourself, accepting that you, you deserve to be here, you, you deserve to have, have a place on, on, on earth uh, and to contribute and to, you know, to bring about your contribution. And the other thing I would add is that once you've, because I see it now, you know, I think before I was trying to construct something with flourishing education, still with, and, and you gave me this analogy and I love it. Uh, the, you know, if you start, if you keep trying to build from a, from a wound, then you're not going to get the same results than if you build from, from the scar. Um, and I would say the same thing. So it's just start by being gentle and just, giving yourself the nurturing elements that you need as a, you know, to, to a little bit like a plant, you know, you sort of like if uh, I interviewed um, Elena Hallingen uh, last week for my podcast and she was talking that some people are like uh, orchids, they're very delicate. So consider yourself as an orchid and just sort of say, right, okay, what do I need to you know, nurture myself? Because nobody else will give you those, mm. those nutrients better than you can. I love that. So important. Do you have a bounce back invitation for us? I'm, uh, we're coming to the end of our interview and I always like to ask guests to leave our audience with either a question for them to reflect on um, or a challenge to do with their their own bouncing back um, experience? So I would say maybe the challenge is um, we have between, you know, the research says between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. So I would ask people, how many of those thoughts are you aware a day? Okay, do you, how do you live? Do you live uh, as a conscious creator or do you just get life to take you wherever it's taking you mm. um, 
because I can guarantee that out of those 50,000 or 70,000 thoughts, there will be a lot of self-critical, you know, inner critic voice that you may not be noticing. And so inky will be whatever your inky is, <laughs> will be will be writing the story of your life. And so my challenge is, can you work with inky so you 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 write a different story whoops you know a story that you you contribute consciously rather than just unconsciously so powerful there you are if you want to share how you're taking on that challenge and you know whether you're doing the writing or or inky's doing the writing how aware you are and what's coming up for you we've got the hashtag bounce back stronger we would love to hear your thoughts on the interview today and how you're getting on with fabian's really powerful challenge fabian thank you so much for coming on today sharing so openly the journey the incredible journey you've been on that has led you to where you are today and sharing so vulnerably honestly and openly you're such an inspiration and thank you for giving up your time to share with us today thank you so much for having me and you know thank you for doing this podcast i think it's so important to to talk about our challenges and the things we we experience as human beings so it can be we can all have more open conversations you know about our emotions and our challenges uh, and, and bring more awareness to to the suffering because i think there's not enough of that and, and and for me suffering is not some you know suffering is not something we need to run away from but actually use to build a you know, stronger conscious awareness so we can recognize our talents and what we're capable of and you know and more importantly the fact that we belong and we deserve to be here brilliant so wise thank you so much fabienne it just remains for me to say goodbye to our listeners for now and look forward to catching you on the next episode bye for now thank you bye Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life, insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.